come to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water that I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to haul all this water back home. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. Amen. As I have been throughout this series, I want to begin with a few snippets of wisdom advice that I think will not only serve you well, but you can pick it up as you listen to its nuances as it's played out in this text of John chapter four. First advice comes from the late Alexandria Graham Bell, who says something incredibly interesting that should catch us immediately. And if you just sit and marinate on this thought, you will come to see I've been a participant in this same process as well. He says, I quote, when one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened for us. Did you catch that? When one door closes, another opens but we spend so much of our time gazing and even concentrating upon the one that's closed, when a new one opens, we don't see it because we are locked into that which has been closed. Many of us have had the journey where we've hit bumps in the road and kind of thought that we could never start over again. Here's what the late Babe Ruth says when someone asks him, how, how, do you become, how do you become a home run artist? How, how do you become good at hitting home runs? And Babe Ruth responds, I quote, when you want to make progress or start over, never let fear of striking out get in your way. Did you get that? 
when you want to make progress or don't forget this point when you want to start over never let fear of striking out get in your way because if you do what will happen you'll never start over and you'll never make progress here's a good piece of advice Albert Einstein Here's what Albert Einstein says when he looks at humanity. He says, the tragedy of life is what dies inside a man while he's still living. Did you catch that? The tragedy of life is what dies inside of a man while he's still living. In other words, while you're still living, there is still the potential of dreaming, but once you stop dreaming, you've already decided to die. Or, let's embrace the suggestion of John Maxwell, who says, failure is not fatal. That, that was for somebody right there this morning. Somebody, somebody heard that. Failure is not fatal. However, failure is only when you won't get back up again. That's fatal. When you decide that you're not going to rise and take a swing at it again because you failed in the process. In fact, let's be honest, how do you grow without failure? How do you make progress without making mistakes? How do you grow without encountering some obstacles and some moments in which you kind of wonder, why am I not growing? Or those moments in which you just can't seem to get it right, no matter how many times you try at it, until you go through what Charles Adam calls all the no's to get to the yes. No. No, 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 yes. Because you stuck it out in the presence of all of the no's. Here's what I want to launch from in this text. Oliver Wendell Holmes said the greatest thing that, one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. Listen to this. A man's mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original dimensions. Let me say that again, Deacon Newton, let me say it again. A man's mind, once it has been stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. That's what I think Jesus did when he planted in the mind of this woman a new idea. He planted that new idea by way of request in verse 7. Give me a drink. He took a request to stretch her mind to think beyond the past tradition and the past perspectives to which she had been baptized into thinking. 
And Jesus used this model of asking or merely requesting by way of question or by way of a command. Remember the man who's at the pool for 38 years? Not a lot of dialogue with Jesus. Just one question. Do you, do you want to get up from here? Do you really want to change your position from being here to being there? Do you want to be made whole? Was that not his question to blind Bartimaeus as Bartimaeus cries out, I know you can heal me. Would you do it? And Jesus says, do you want to see? Do you really want to see? And maybe Jesus is asking someone in here this morning who came with an overwhelming amount of burden on your shoulders, an overwhelming amount of challenge in your heart and life, an overwhelming amount of obstacles that you're trying to overcome. In fact, every time you think you're getting over the obstacle, it somehow pushes you back and you fall back down to where you began. It's in the life of this woman whose past is not the most favorable. Her past, in fact, is so sketchy and so dark. Read the text, she comes to the well alone. But it's also so dark because of what's been said about her arguably what's been said and done to her, and now her own psyche has been reprogrammed to think less of who she is. She's made a few mistakes. She's failed in life. We, we know she's failed relationally because she has five different husbands. She's now hanging out with someone who's not even her husband, which might suggest he may be somebody else's husband. She's struggling with what it means to commune with someone else. She's a poor peasant. She's born on the wrong side of the tracks. And worse, she's ethnically mixed. She's part Jew and part Samaritan. She has to live with what African Americans had to live with in this country. What anybody else, if you had one drop of black blood in you, you were black no matter what else you had in you. She has to live with that kind of evil complexity. And folk are critical of her because she's Samaritan, but also because she sees God differently. Her worship experience is designated at Mount Gerizim. Jews' worship experience says that God can only be met in Jerusalem. Her contention is that, hold on, wherever God is and wherever I am, we are there together. Jews said, no, you got to meet him in Jerusalem. She's struggling with this whole mentality of folk questioning her religious perspective because it's different than what tradition is. She's an interesting woman, but she's a woman also who now has to wrestle 
with this question slash request, really, that Jesus makes of her, give me something to drink. Give me water. And Jesus takes this request to give it to her that he might lead her to her release. Because she needs release from the criticism. She needs the release from the judgmentalism of others who look at her. She needs release from feeling that she's less than. She needs release from believing that the only way she can, she can exist is to do it in isolation. So watch as I walk you through this fourth chapter, verses 7 through 15. Watch these various particulars that this woman gives us. And yet, we're going, we're going to see how Jesus positions himself to give her a new beginning. And he draws her in slowly but surely. Look at the text closely. I told you he gives a request, give me the drink. The release is from the wrong self-image. Can you imagine how she saw herself as everyone else talked about her as she passed on the street or made her way out of the city to get to the well? to deliver her and release her from the wrong picture images in her mind. How many of you got the wrong picture images? You play the wrong pictures in your mind about yourself. And to release her from her emotional status of being less than because of where she's born. But if Jesus can get her released, something great is going to happen. She's going to rejoice. She's going to rejoice because in doing so, it will signal that she stopped daydreaming about changing and start engaging with Christ who's going to bring about a change. I want to tell you this and then I'm done. Watch this. Verse 7 Look at what the text says. It says to us that soon a Samaritan woman, she's deemed an insignificant woman because of her race, because of her religion, and because of her failures. How many people live with that kind of burden in their lives every single day? Feeling insignificant because of things that in fact they have no control over. How you're born, where you're born, to whom you're born to, what your hue is. You have no control over that. And yet people find you insignificant because they consider you to be less than. She struggles with this. But look what it says. She's a Samaritan woman 
who comes to the well. So she's an isolated woman because no woman would come to the well at high noon at the heat of the day alone. Secondly, she wouldn't come at high noon, it's too hot. She would come in the evening, but she would come accompanied by other ladies. But she can't find the help because maybe some of those husbands that she married or that she engaged with, some of them might be the sisters who would like to go to the well with her, but got a little hateration going on. And so they won't make that trip. Or what the text doesn't tell you is she may have been born on the wrong side of the track, but she could have looked some kind of good. For remember, she had five husbands and got one now that's not hers. Maybe the sisters will figure she looks so good and she thinks she's so fine and she thinks she all that, I'm not going to go with her to the well. So she goes by herself, which is not always a bad thought because sometimes to transform your life, it's incredibly important that you get away from the crowd and be alone by yourself with God and yourself so that God can start working to unveil what seems to be hindering you from making the next step. So because she arrives isolated, it's not all bad at least that's not what the text tells us because it says that she comes alone but look what it says when she gets there she meets Jesus which she never expected never expected to see God in this isolated space why because she's always heard that you've got to meet God in the temple but here she is at a well Jacob's well she comes here, but doesn't know that he's God at the time. That's why the writer of Hebrews says you got to be careful about who you are critical of because you very well may be entertaining God's angel unaware. You don't know who God sends in the path to help you get back to the right path that you might make a new beginning in your life. Be careful who you are critical of because that just might be God who created a theophany that he might come and dwell among you in a different perspective that you never imagined. He's there at the well. And look, read the text real closely. When Jesus says, give me a drink, she looks at him and she says, uh, how, how be it you a Jew ask me a Samaritan for a drink Jewish man and me a Samaritan woman how did she know he was a Jew was there a public sign on him that displayed that my ethnicity is Jewish or did she saw the features in him that let her know that he was not a man of Samaria? Then it follows with a parenthesis, for Jews have no dealings or association with Samaritans. Remember, that's not completely, for they had economic association, but they just had no social 
association. You would never catch a Jewish person conversing with a Samaritan in public. And Jesus engages her in what she never imagined. You ask me for a drink. She's not only considered insignificant and isolated, but Jesus gives her an invitation. But then, watch this, she is quite inquiring of Jesus. Look at what verse 9 says again. You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Because Jesus don't care where you came from. Nor am I interested even in where you are now. All I know is you need what I have. And what I have will change your entire perspective. Watch this. Keep following me. In verse 10, she's intrigued. When he says to her, look at verse 10, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am. The word gift there is interesting because the word really means if you only knew the destiny that God has in store for your life and who I am, the deliverer of the destiny. I'm here to give you what you need and God is using me. That's why verse four said he had to purposely go through Samaria. I'm a living witness that God takes you someplace sometimes you don't know why you got to go there. In fact, I am reluctant, I have been reluctant to go there. But when I got there, I finally realized this is the reason why I had to come in this spot. And then I reflect if I had took my typical route going around instead of going through. And some of us are candidates for constantly trying to go around what God is doing instead of going through what God is doing. He's there, yet she's intrigued about what he says. I got a gift for you. God gave it to me to give to you. In fact, if you had just simply asked me the same request, look at verse 10, I'd have gave it to you. I would have given it to you just the way you needed it. Look at verse 11 and 12. Now she seeks to interrogate Jesus but sir you don't have a rope nor do you have a bucket you don't have anything to draw with and this well is deep look what it says and in fact where would you get this living water you're talking about that's how I know she's intrigued and now she's starting to interrogate you where you where you gonna get this living water from in fact are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who, who fed his sons and daughters from this well and his cattle? Can, can you do a better job than that? And watch how Jesus gains her interest. Look at verse 13. People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. Verse 14, but the water I give takes away thirst all together. It becomes a perpetual 
spring. Don't miss that. Because Jesus is not saying, I'm going to eliminate all the thirst in your life. In fact, what I'm going to do, when I get into your life, I'm going to create a spring where you don't have to thirst because you're always being fed. You always got water springing up in you. Watch this, I'm going to bring it home. So that's why people don't understand when you say joy, unspeakable joy. They, they can't figure out how you keep on being happy, how you keep on being excited. They, they want to know, has something great happened? Has something changed? Nope, not at all. It's just joy on the inside because the God that I know is a spring of water that just keeps growing up and blowing up inside of you. You've had one of those moments where you just be in the house doing your thing. Ooh, and the spirit of God just hits you and, and you just start shouting all by yourself and your family come down. What, no, what's going on? Ain't nothing going on. I just feel so good. And when I thought about how good God has been to us in this house and how God has watched over us and how God has protected us and how God has supplied all of our need, it just dawned on me. Today, I just haven't thanked him for how good he was and I just had to thank him because it welled up in me a spring of water and then when you was at work just going about doing your job hey hallelujah and folk want to know you can't do this at work child I can't help it but when you think about how good he's provided every morning he wakes me up to new mercies every single day and every time I turn around he just keeps on blessing every time I look and I recognize I don't deserve what he's given me but I can't help but to stand up and thank him it wells up into me a joy and they kind of wonder why you're so happy. Joy bells just keep ringing every time I think about something. It's a blessing here and a blessing here. Then when I look at my children, hey, watch how God kept them and protected them and now they're getting ready to graduate in a new life and they're starting their own life. I can't help but to thank him for how good he's been to me. I'm talking about a well of water that springs up on the inside of you. It's joy. And the woman had never had such joy before. And Jesus said, if you drink of this, you ain't never coming back to this well again. And look how she's inspired, verse 15. When she listened to the way Jesus described this thing, Perpetual praise. Perpetual praise means I'll praise him when the sun is up. I'm going to praise him when the sun is down. I'm going to praise him if it's raining. I'm going to praise him if there's a windstorm. I'm going to thank him no matter what. I will bless the Lord at all times. It's in her perpetual praise. But her interrogating of him did something to her. It piqued her interest and then it inspired her because verse 15 tells us, she says, sir, please. She pulled James Brown before James Brown was in existence. Please. Please. Please, please, darling, please. Give
give me this water. Now, you won't understand the joy of that until you need it to get some water because life has made you thirsty. You, you won't understand the importance of the emphaticism of the way she says this until first you've had a moment in which life has drained you has dehydrated your entire being and you needed some water and here comes God with your empty pitcher standing before that full fountain and he don't, he don't just give you a little drop here and there got to ration it out because someone else behind you needs some water. See, it draws its own analogy for what Jesus would do later when he multiplies the fishes and the loaves. It's the way God is saying, when it comes to me, when you need provision for me, I have an endless well. Look what she said. What do you have to draw with? You don't have a bucket or the rope, and this well is deep. Jesus just, <laughs> oh, bless your heart, baby girl. You just don't know. I made the ground that this well is a part of. I'm the one who creates the cistern underneath that the water flows through. In fact, I don't need a rope or a bucket. I am the rope. People hold on to me every single day, climbing out of the pits of life. I am the bucket. They come to me because they have empty pitchers. And when I pour out, I pour out more than enough and so in the fishes and the loaves as the disciples kept passing they thought for sure we were going to run out there's 5,000 people out here we didn't have, we didn't start with but two fish and five pancakes how are we going how are we going to feed this Jesus said, y'all forgot the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This woman didn't know that the earth was the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The disciples, when they were passing the basket, they kept observing as they kept looking in there. Man, they more fish than what it was when you gave me the bucket. And they kept passing and kept passing. And when they got through the entire crowd, they were standing there with baskets full in an overflow. It's God's way of saying, when you need water to quench your thirst and bread to quench your hunger, when I give, I give more. Because there's some folk in the room today who can testify when I prayed? I, this is what I prayed for. But do you not know God gave me more than I prayed for? What'd you do with it? I gave it to somebody else because I had more than enough. He looks at her and he says, what I give you, you won't ever have to thirst again, sir. What do I have to do to get this water? Last line, verse 15, so I don't have to come back here again. And Jesus challenges her from this point on to 
There's some things that you need to do. And I'm just going to ask you, I'm just going to tell you one thing. Obedience gets you a long ways. 16, Jesus says, go, go get your husband and bring him back here. Now, I don't want to talk a lot about that because when I come back, you know, next time to preach, I want to talk about that. But, but listen to what Jesus says. Go get your husband and, and bring him back here. How are you going to change this? We're talking about water. You changed the whole subject. How are you, how you going to shift like that and talk about water? Or talk about a husband. I, I'm not, that's, that's a, that's it, that's, I got that head off here. I don't want you talking about, don't look at that. Let's talk about the water thing. See, you and I were here. We were on track when we were talking about water. Now you're talking about go get your husband. But she makes an honest response. I can't, says the text. I don't have one. And Jesus says, you're right. In fact, the one that you're with now, not even yours. I came by to tell you one thing. Be careful. I should better say, be ready to expect that when you want to start over again, maybe your failure is because you're hiding what you don't need in your life. And God says, I'll help you start over if we deal with what you got hid in the closet. Y'all ain't saying amen on that one, but y'all ain't shouting on that one. Yeah. God wants to peel, peel back. I told him this morning, if your vision doesn't cost you anything, you're just daydreaming. And maybe Jesus is telling this woman, if you want a new beginning, We've got to deal with this issue alone. Because read the rest of the story. There's no more talk about a husband. None. It's as if he throws this curveball in there to change the whole conversation. No, I, I didn't throw a curveball. I just talked about what you didn't want to talk about. I talked about what you've got hid in your life. And I know you don't want anybody to know. And read the story. Only Jesus and the woman is at the well. So nobody else has to know what they're talking about. And here's the glorious thing about God helping us start over again. It's all done in private. He doesn't publicize it on social media. He doesn't splash it up on the screen. And we ought to shout that it don't because if he put our mess out in public. We might as well not even come back to church anymore. I mean, ain't no need of showing up in here because none of us would even think that we ought to be in here, and rightfully so, because our conscience should feel some sense of guilt. But Jesus teaches this woman to us. Because you fail, you don't have to stay where you are. Let's, let's start over. But let's deal with what keeps you from really making progress. Let's be honest. And in doing that, we can watch how God will incrementally move us to the next stage. I, I close by posing the question, uh, does anybody in here got baggage that they don't want nobody to know what's in the bag? 
bus right by. I got holy folk. Uh, let me ask this question. Does anybody got skeletons, bones in your closet at the house? Anybody got some stuff in the trunk outside in the car? Let me, let, me, let me just push it just a little bit more. Uh, anybody got some stuff that you just know in your mind? Man, if anybody find out about this, they'll withdraw my membership. They'll put me out. I mean, they will dethrone me in a congregation. And Jesus says, aren't you glad that I don't publicize your stuff, not interested in doing that. In fact, he says, when you do that, that's the reason why grace, mercy, and goodness stands right there at the door. And if you're honest with yourself and come be honest with me, each of them will restore. And we got reason to shout today because all of us are fallen stars that have been restored back into the atmosphere of God's glory. That's all we are. We were stars who were riding high, but because of one reason or another, we've fallen down to the earth. And rather than to be buried in the earth, God unearthed us and put us back together and slung us back out into the heavens. And now while we're here on earth, we are the walking wounded. And we are walking wounded so that when we meet another wounded person, we can help them heal because we've been healed. So all of us are walking wounded. For he was bruised for our transgression. Broken. Bruised for our iniquity wounded for our transgressions and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes that's, that's, that's what I'm claiming for Sister Annette Fletcher and Sister Tanya Kim by his stripes theologians contend that that can't be a physical healing it's strictly, strictly spiritual that that's all right. We, we've already learned scientifically and, psych and psychologically uh, that when a person has a spiritual connection, it accelerates and increases the possibility of what we call divine healing. And I know those two got spiritual connection. Give me a drink. Will you, will you give me a drink, said Jesus? Will, will you let me drink from your cup? You can't drink from my cup because I'm a Samaritan. I don't need your cup. I got my own. Hands, I hold water. Listen, have you ever tried this trick? You'll get it when you get home. Do your hands like that and try to put water in it. it it'll stay there for about a second or two, but you, you can see it seeping out at the bottom. 
because your hands have defects. What about him whose hand holds the world and yet he can hold water in his hands and nothing seeps through the bottom? If you would ask me, I'd give you a drink and it would spring up into you a well of water, perpetual life, and you'll never thirst again. Lord, whatever way you want to bless me, do it. 